Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. talk a little bit tonight. Now, I'm not going to be lengthy. I promise that. I'm not going to be lengthy tonight, but we're, we're, doing, a, uh, we're doing a series. We started a series on Sunday, and I can't wait till Sunday. I can't wait till this Sunday. Now, if you are in town Sunday, I, I urge you to be in church on Sunday morning. There's nothing like church on Sunday morning. Last week, we talked about one generation away from extinction. This Sunday, we're going to talk about one generation away from change in the world. Last Sunday, we might have been a little negative. We won't be negative this Sunday. We're going to be talking about changing the world. So it's all in what we run with. It's all in what we carry to that next generation. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of great things here on Sunday, and you will be blessed beyond measure. And then Monday, how many of you, how many of you folks are off on Labor Day? How many of y'all are off on Labor Day? Wow, wow, wow. All right, if you don't go to the lake, if you go to the lake, that's your business, you know, just remember us and... Whatever you do, whatever you do out there, but think about us. One lady came up to me tonight. It was so precious. She said, I've been missing a lot of church lately. I've had to work and got busy. She said, I had a dream about you. thought I better get back to church. <laughs> so whatever God does to, to get, keep you organized and keep you brunt, come to the house of the Lord. I hope he does that because I, I want all of you here. I love you very, very much. Now, would you stand? I'm going to talk about confidence tonight. I'm going to talk about confidence. By the way, we run out of... Uh, we run out of uh, confidence bracelets on Sunday, and uh, we had 500 of those things. I can't, I, I, it's, it's hard to me imagine we had 500 kids here on Sunday. <laughs> we had about 1,600 people in church, but it's hard to imagine we had 500 kids here Sunday. We ordered some more. If you got one, wear it. Amen. Don't just don't just take it to the house and well I got one. I stole one of them confidence bracelets for those kids. I got one. Wear it. Hebrews ten thirty five says, Do not throw away your confidence. Everybody say, Don't toss your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Amen. Confidence will be rewarded. My subject tonight is one word, confidence. I'm just going to talk about confidence. I'm going to talk about it because I think everybody that plays sports, everybody that does jobs, everybody that comes to church, everybody that faces an enemy every day, everybody that goes through life needs a good old-fashioned dose of confidence. Amen? And there's no sense in a nine-year-old girl, nine-year-old boy having more confidence in what they're doing than what we do in Almighty God and in our lives. Amen? Kids are, they have no fear. They really don't. They just believe. They just believe everything's going to be all right. We need to understand that Jesus said we could be like those children. We could believe things that he could do. So I want to talk to you about confidence tonight. Shake somebody's hand or shake their arm if you're a germaphobe and you may be seated. Amen. I'll be done in just a moment. My definition of confidence is simply this. Put it on the screen. Confidence is being positive about your life and what you can do. 
It's also not worrying about what you can't do. I like that. Confidence is being positive about your life and what you can do. It's also not worrying about what you can't do. Tonight, for the next little while, I will try to persuade you that confidence does more than make you feel better. It actually will make your life better. And so your goal tonight and our goal tonight is embrace a life of confidence. Everybody say embrace a life of confidence. Decide today, if you haven't already, that you're going to be the most confident person you can possibly be. You're going to be that. So how can confidence help me, Pastor? Is it just a good feeling? Is it just a placebo? A lot of people think confidence. Can that really help me? Is it just a psychological thing that preachers use and coaches use? Or is it really a real thing? You hear people telling you to be confident, be more positive about your life. And you say, yeah, but that doesn't change life. It doesn't change my situation. It's just a feel-good kind of thing. And so I'm going to do my best to show you how your life will be different with confidence. Everybody say C-O-N-F-I-D. E-N-C. E. How many of you could stand up and sing a solo and bless the church and you've never sung before if somebody told you that you could do that enough? I believe with all my heart that if you start believing in the things that God has established in your life and things that God has placed in your life, and have faith and understand that God can do great things in your life, I don't think there's anything that's too hard for anybody to ever accomplish in this life. I believe with all my heart that God wants us to have the confidence that I can do. My dad used to use a phrase, and I loved it so much. He said, can't, never could do anything. And then he said this, and he threw, me, he threw a, a curveball at me. He said, and they whipped couldn't till he could. <laughs> so there was a fight with couldn't. But he whipped him until he could. Now, I don't want to beat anybody up with the word tonight. But I think that we need to get the can'ts out of our life and the couldn'ts out of our life and get the cans <laughs> and get the coulds in our life. And I'm not talking about what a cow chews. I'm talking about the C-O-U-L-D. So things happen in our lives that causes confidence to waver. We are tempted to cast away our confidence. We hit with like negative news. Now I want to talk about it. Didn't get that promotion. Perhaps lost a job. Perhaps the closest friend has become a kind of a jerk and they're no longer as close to you as you wanted them to be. Maybe you lost money and investment. Maybe your children are rebellious. Maybe someone close to you comes down with a terminal illness or, God forbid, dies. And our confidence gets tested. And then uncertainty enters our minds. So the writer of Hebrews chapter 10 is creating a word picture saying that in those moments, the worst thing we can do is cast away our confidence. 
because I'm promising you that if you cast it away, you're going to need to, in a little while, pick it back up. Ask Samson about casting away a jawbone because he whipped a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, the jawbone of an ass, the Bible said. And when he, when he got through with the battle, he cast it aside. Then he grew extremely thirsty. And the Lord told him to go pick up what caused him to have the victory in the first place. And when he went and picked it back up again, water flowed from that jawbone of a donkey. Here's what I'm telling you, folks. If it's ever worked in your life before, you had to have confidence to ask that pretty girl sitting beside you for a date the first time. You really did. I don't think anybody here said, she's standing there and you're here and said, would you go out with me? I'm pretty shy. Would you go out with me? She'd say, turn around so I can see your face. You don't look that good from the back. (laughs) Debbie Wainwright over here said, I've got a view I've never had before, Pastor. I'm sitting behind you. And I said, you're seeing a bald head too. She said, I am. I said, but remember, the face really looks good. (laughs) It's time that we understand that the thing that has caused us to be successful many times has been a confidence in, in our ability and a confidence in what we're doing. And when sometimes we throw that away and cast that away, it's going to be needed to be picked up again and used in our life again. So what the writer is saying, don't cast away the thing that has put you in the position you're in right now. In fact, he paints a word picture. He continues to create this visual of life, says, with, a ver- with, or with showing a person with or without confidence. He creates the idea of a person walking along in confidence and suddenly negativity comes to their life. And then this voice pops up and begins to say, say things to them. And the voice of negativity begins to move you toward a different path. One that's the opposite path of confidence. The voice says, just admit it. Here's what the voice will say. Stop thinking that God is in control of your life. He's not in control. Stop thinking that God cares. Stop thinking that God has a plan for your life. In fact, just stay away from church for a while. In fact, stay away from Bible study for a while. Why even bother? So we begin to shift. And that diminishing confidence actually changes the course of one's life. And the writer is saying, stay in the flow. Stay in the path. Hold on to your confidence because it will create a different outcome. And it will have a very extremely rich reward in your life. Amen. I believe that. I believe that. Today, I have, a, I have a, a, a nice television. My son-in-law, one of the nice things he did was put me a, a little cable. We've had cable in this church forever, and I, I have a little TV now. I watch it maybe one hour a month. But I turned it on today just because I, I kind of like the Texas Rangers. Okay? Now, I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about the one that fights. I'm not talking about Walker, Texas Ranger. I'm talking about the Texas Rangers that plays baseball. And they were out in Seattle, and they were facing one of the toughest pitchers in the American League today, one of the toughest. Uh, they call him King Felix, Felix Hernandez. And Hernandez won the Cy Young several years ago, a couple of years ago, and he is just he's devastating when he's right. But the Rangers have faced him now five times this year, five times. They they concluded their series with Seattle today. And for all you folks that are not sports-related, stay with me. I'll preach the Bible in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But but my phone, 
my son-in-law also made my phone so it would go off when the ranger did something good. Da-da-da-da, whatever it does. And when the cowboys do something good. So it hardly ever goes off when the cowboys are playing. <laughs> and when the longhorns are doing something good. And it hadn't been, it hadn't been doing real good with the longhorns lately. But the rangers are, have the best record in the American League right now. And they faced King Felix today and they made him a prince. <laughs> and and, and what, I, what I saw was this. I watched about two innings of it and what I saw was this. They put, they put eight runs on him, nine hits and three innings. And he didn't even get an out in the fourth inning. They just bombed him. And then when the relief pitcher came in, Adrian Beltre, one of my favorite players, hit a two-run home run, made it 10 to nothing before there was an out in the fourth inning. That game was over. Now, King Felix is the kind of pitcher, he's the kind of pitcher that he devastates you. He makes you look so bad. But the Rangers have faced him five times this year, and his record against them is 0-4. They knew the other day in Arlington, they beat him. They they scored five runs on him the other day in Arlington, and they knew they had his number. Now, why am I preaching this? Just because you need to know. It's just FYI. And I said after last night's game, and I didn't watch last night's game because it was too late. They're playing on the coast, and I had to go to sleep. I had to work today. But I got up this morning and saw they'd won last night. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, Felix Hernandez is in trouble today because they've already beat him. They've already beat him three times. They're facing him for the fifth time this year. He got a no decision one time. And you know what? You know what? They're going to work his motor over today. And in the second inning, the leadoff batter came up for the second time and hit a three-run home run. And, and, and that's when I turned it on, when he hit that three-run home run. And I looked in the eyes of those boys, and when I used to see puzzlement when they faced a pitcher like him, I saw nothing but complete confidence in those men. They stood there like, whatever you throw, sir, whatever you give me, it's going out quicker than it came in. Now, why are you saying that, Pastor? Why are you preaching that kind of stuff? Because I believe with all my heart. That we need to understand that things are going to happen bad. But when you, listen, when you understand that you can beat the Cy Young winner of this earth. When you understand you've gone through situations before and you've come out a winner. And he's 0 for the game against you. He's 0 and 4 against you this year. Everything he's tried to throw at you, you have won the victory over. Why stand there when a new trial comes? Oh, somebody help me preach right now. Why stand there when something new happens in your life and think, oh God, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what you do. You smile. You say, throw it on in here, baby, because it's coming back at you quicker than it ever came in here. Because I've got confidence that God is going to help me in any situation. It's the same old pitcher, it's the same old curveball, it's the same old fastball, but you've got confidence because God has helped you before. Help me preach right now. Amen, amen. So things happen. Confidence wavers. But when you understand that you have something, the Hebrew boys in in Daniel chapter 3 looked at Nebuchadnezzar they came, tattled on him, and said, "You know, those there's 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 some guys over there. Them, those those boys from Judah, those Israeli boys, they're not bowing down to your to your song, Neb. They're not doing it." And he said, "Bring them here." He had already told them, "We're going to throw you in the fire." He said, "Bring them here." So he brought them over, and boy, he talked to them bad. He, I mean, you read Daniel three, he laid it on them. He said, "Boys, listen." 
He said, I don't care how much you rule and how much you own and how much we've, we've promoted you over here. Listen, you're going to bow down to the God that we play music to. And they looked at him and said, oh, king, we'd be not careful to answer you. In other words, we're not even going to worry about how we talk right now. Somehow you've got to get that kind of confidence in the God <laughs> that you serve and that knows you. You understand that? And so we're not even careful to answer you. said, our God is able to deliver us from that furnace. But if not, if not, we're still not going to bow down. We're still not going to bow down because we believe in that God stronger than just delivering us. We're going to go in no matter what you say. We're going to go in and we're going to face it. And we're going to come out either dead or alive. But God is still going to be God in our life. And the Bible said they threw them in with, with their coats on. They threw them in with their hose on, whatever that is. They threw them in. And the Bible said they fell down. They must have threw them so hard they fell down. But the men that threw them in were burned. Because they heated the fire seven times hotter. And Nebuchadnezzar got a look inside. He said, wow. Something's going on here. Something's going on here. He said, I, didn't we just throw three in that fire? Lo, I see a fourth man. He looks like the son of God. Stop right now. I got to tell you something right now. Anytime you get in the fire, you can always count one more. No, you didn't get that. Anytime you're in a trial, you always count one more. Anytime you go through a situation, say plus one. Anytime you go through hell, say plus one. Because you're not going through it by yourself. That's what faith is. Faith, everybody say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I got a little illumination I want to share with you on this Wednesday night. People not here don't get this. They just want to get it on tape. This man right here is an attorney. Also was a Supreme Court justice, so he knows what I'm talking about. When, when an attorney comes to the court, when an attorney comes to the court, and I've, I've, I've been in courts before, when an attorney comes, he has to come with substance. He cannot come with no evidence or no, no substance and expect to convict anybody in that courtroom. Circumstantial evidence really don't work a whole lot. Now that we have DNA and we have all the testing that prove that this is the exact person because we want to make sure we get it right. So an attorney has to bring substance. The Bible said in Isaiah that the Lord would not only be our advocate, he would be our judge. So the advocate that's taking care of our case, when he walks in the courtroom, he's not coming with circumstantial evidence. He's coming with substance. You know what that substance is? It's called a hill called Calvary. It's called a place of Calvary, the old rugged cross. And it's there that he gave his life for us. It's there that he shed his blood for us. It's there that he said it's finished for us. And folks, I'm telling you, that's not circumstantial evidence. That's substance. That's substance. You can take that to the bank. That's substance. 
Everybody say substance. And it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? I'm going to tell you what it means. God showed it to me. Let me tell you what it means. Evidence is nothing more than a marking that can't be seen from the outside. And he said, I'm not going to mark you with a fleshly circumcision. I'm going to circumcise your heart. I'm going to cut away the old man. I'm going to give you a new heart. That's evidence. You can't see my heart. You see the results of what my heart is. But I've got substance from a hill called Calvary and the burial and the resurrection. And I got evidence right in here. So you know why I'm confident? Because I've got an attorney that says I've got the substance and you've got the evidence. And I'm going to stand on that because nothing formed against us shall prosper. There is no weapon. There is no problem. There is no situation that his substance and my evidence can't handle. That's why David said, I want to be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than in the house of the Lord than to be a dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know, what, you know what a doorkeeper did? The doorkeeper checked faith people. He checked the markings on a man. And that's what happens when you come into church. God says, I don't want you to come in here with no faith. I don't want you to come in here with no faith. I want you to come in here with faith. <laughs> you got to have some faith. Because without it, it's impossible to please God. And that's the reason sometimes our confidence wavers is because we don't have the faith of what God has given us substance for. That's just a thought. Things happen, confidence wavers. But number two, confidence maintained in your mind produces rich rewards in your life. Say amen to that. I believe this totally. Everybody say totally. People who live with confidence have better relationships. People who live with confidence have better experiences at home and at jobs. It changes the way we pray. Is that up? It changes the way you pray. With diminished confidence, hopelessness invades your heart, and that voice of uncertainty starts talking. And when you pray, it's like this. God, how come you're doing this to me? I thought you was on my side. I thought you loved me. God. But if you're on a path of confidence and a negative situation arise, you pray like this, God, I love you. I may not understand what I'm going through right now. I may not know why, but I trust you. I know you have my life in your hands. I know you have my best interest at heart. Lead me in the way that you want me to go. Confidence helps us pray effectively. When we lack confidence, we also have a fear of public speaking. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Confidence causes us to think more creatively. It causes your mind to think more with clarity. And you need research. You know research and statistics shows that a person's number one fear is public speaking. Now, stay with me. If I were to ask some of you to come up here and give a word tonight, you'd faint right here on this stage. I'd have to give you CPR. Because your words get tangled up, your hands start sweating, your knees start knocking. And that's why when we pull people up here to address the church, we want them to be able to speak. (laughs) 
So it's hard to testify sometimes about God's goodness without confidence. Well, I tell you what, you know, I thought I had confidence, but you know, we lost our dog last year. Mm, that hurt. I just don't know why God took that dog. He's just 20 years old. You know, we had, we had, we had, it, we had it going good, and then, and then we, just, we had a bad winter. Mm. You know what? Somebody that don't know God would say, you know what? Why don't you just keep that God? I, I'll go ahead and trust Jim Bean for a little longer. I don't need that kind of God. We need people that will stand up. Whether you've got an audience of one or an audience of a thousand and say, I know my Redeemer lives. My God is a God that takes care of all my needs. Amen? Speak it. So when your confidence is down, it equals functioning differently. It's amazing when your confidence goes down, everything changes. Your function, you function totally different. You don't think nearly as clear without confidence as you would with confidence. I'm simply saying that confidence helps you navigate through situations in life more effectively. You think more clearly. You think more positively. And when confidence diminishes, you find a place of despair, and it's easy to slip into a poor, pitiful me mindset, and you know that. You lose perspective and always assume the worst. Let me tell you a story about a man named Elijah. I'm not far from finishing. First Kings chapter 19, one of the legendary prophets of the Bible. He was discouraged because he had just come. First Kings 18, he'd just come from a, a mount called Carmel, and he'd called fire down from heaven. And then he prayed for rain, and rain came, and he outrun the whole chariot of, of, of Ahab 17 miles back to Jezreel. He had the Holy Ghost on him. But after he gets back, he hears the word of Jezebel. Said, she said, by this time tomorrow, he will be a dead prophet. So he takes off running into the wilderness. He goes to a remote place in that wilderness under a juniper tree, and he prayed that he might die. This is less than a week after he has called fire down from heaven, caused it to rain, and run 17-mile marathon and outrun a chariot pulled with horses. The boy could run. And he complained to God, and God feeds him with a cake, and he goes on the strength of that cake for 40 days. Then he retires to a cave, tired, exhausted, and upset with God and how things are going in his life. And God asks, what are you doing here? Has God ever asked you that? What are you doing here? And Elijah said, I've been jealous for the Lord and for the children of Israel, for they have forsaken God. And God says, go forth and stand on the mountain. Now, when he goes and stands on that mountain, God lets a wind blow. He lets an earthquake shake the mountain, then a fire come. And God wasn't in the wind, the Bible said. He wasn't in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the fire. Then he comes in a still, small voice, and he asks the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he says, I am, I've come because... I'm, I'm, I'm worried that Israel has turned their back on you. Said the same thing. And God says to him, get back to work. Get up and get back to doing what you were doing. I want you to hear this, Pastor. When you think your time is over and that you just want to die, there is nothing else for you to accomplish in life. You hear me tonight. When you think there's nothing more for, to you for life, your last disappointment, your last heartbreak, your last failure, your last setback, listen to me. Listen to me. You still have, you still have three anointings left in your life. You still have three anointings. He said, Elijah, I want you to go anoint Hazael. 
I want you to anoint him king of Syria. I want you to go anoint Jehu, king of Israel. And I want you to go anoint Elisha to stand in your stead. Don't ever think in your darkest moment that God is finished with you. Never, 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 never give up your confidence. Because when you're at your bottom, God still has three anointings left for you. Somebody ought to get on their feet right now and just shout unto the Lord. Because hell wants people to say it's over. It's not over till God says it's over. There's three more anointings for you. You haven't even swung the bat once yet. Woo! Hallelujah. So Elijah gets out of that cave and the first thing he meets is Elisha. And he went back to work as a prophet of God. Elijah meets Elisha, who was a younger guy and became his protege and successor in his work. God had a plan the whole time, and God knew he was running out of juice. And just a few verses later, he meets the guy who's going to help relieve him. Because when you're down to your last ounce of strength, God's got three more anointings for you. Three more. Three more. Everybody say, three more. Everybody say three more. more. Not one. Not two. But three. You don't get significance of it, do you? It's on the third day that he arose. It's on the third day that God produced the herb bearing fruit and seed in the ground. In other words, what he's saying is when you think that you're finished, I'm fixing to plant something new in you. When you think you're finished, I'm fixing to resurrect you. When you think it's all over, I'm fixing to put you on a path like you've never been on before in your life. Don't you ever cast away your confidence because I've got something to place in you. I've got something to lift you up and I got something to bless you with. When you're down to your last dime, God's got three more anointings for you. Don't give up. Don't cast away your confidence. He is able to keep that that he's committed unto you against that day. Amen. And number three, let me finish. Let me finish. Wait a minute. I got to say this. I'm trying to hurry. I want you to remember today that it's less about circumstance and more about confidence. Confidence maintained produces rich rewards in your life. The bigger your confidence, the better your life. And a maintained confidence produces rewards. And number three, and I finish. God confidence is intended to translate into self-confidence. So, some people ask the question to me, do you have confidence in God? Or do you have confidence in yourself? That, ladies and gentlemen, is a dumb dichotomy. It really is. What's wrong with having confidence in God and confidence in myself because of God? What's wrong with me having so much confidence in God that I can say God made me and God doesn't make mistakes? That I'm intentionally created by the designer of the universe to be who I am right now, right here, In this place. That God has his hand on my life. That God has a purpose and a plan for my life. That if God is for me, who can be against me? And if God is on my side, I'll always win. That if God is on my side, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That I am an overcomer. Confidence in God is intended to translate into confidence in ourself. 
The psalmist said it this way in Psalms 18:29. For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leaped over a wall. Woo. The apostle Paul said in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a fact that I can run through a troop and leap over a wall, but it's by my God and far by thee. But it's not either or. I have confidence because God's given me confidence. So I'm going to get my head up. I'm not going to slouch around because I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. I've been creating the image of God. I'm not going to go around begging the rest of my life. I'm competent. I'm capable to do that which God has in mind for me to do. He wants to take the I can'ts out of your vocabulary. You can get a lot of things in a can. You can get canned tomatoes. You can get canned peaches. And you can get a gospel called I can. There's something powerful about this I can. And I, I, I want to say it with you. Say I can. Do all things. Through Christ. Who strengthens me? Say it. I can. I can. Let me finish tonight. Here's a follow-up story and I'm done. I'm going to try to be through before 845 every Wednesday night now. It's a story about the exodus from Egypt. God is big enough to take you out of Egypt, but is God not big enough to take you to promise? He can deliver you from sin, but he can't give you the promise of the Spirit. He can't bring you into a land called promise. He can't do that. He can bring you out, but he can't bring you in. Listen, if God's big enough to bring you out of something, he's great enough to take you in. Don't you ever doubt that. And so people get stuck in a wilderness having come out of sin many times, going round in circles because they doubted themselves and they underestimated the potential and the potential that God had in their life. So we go to the book of Numbers. Let's read it real quick. 13. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. So let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites and the land we traveled through and explored would devour anyone who goes and lives there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers and that's what they thought too, really. Really. So you read their mind. I didn't think you'd even look at them. I thought you'd turn around and ask them for a date with your back to them. Because you had no confidence. How could you look in their eyes if you didn't have confidence? They, they thought the same thing about us as we thought about ourselves. Isn't that amazing? How inferiority kind of plays in our world sometimes. Let me tell you something. You are with God the greatest people that ever walked on the earth. You really are. You need to clap your hands with that. You're the, you're the greatest people. You are the finest people. And it's not about anything but the fact that it's the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. You have evidence. Your heart has been circumcised by water baptism, and your spirit has been filled with his glory. And it's an awesome thing. Walk in confidence. So that's where we started tonight. Two voices, two voices, the voice of negativity, the voice of confidence. One sees himself as weak, inferior, and able to take the challenge they're facing, while the other voice, the voice of Caleb, sees himself as strong and the people as being capable to be able to get the job done and move forward. They're experiencing the same thing. They've been to the same land. They've seen the same giants. They've seen the same fruit. 
They've seen the same houses. They've seen the same wells. But one comes back and says we can't. One comes back and says we can. One has confidence and the other is negative. One says we can achieve and the other says we'll never be able to make it happen. And here's the difference. Here's the difference. When you look at something with confidence, it'll change your whole parameters. Because Caleb and Joshua were privileged to go into the land of promise. And the people that said we can't go died in the wilderness. Because fear will kill you. And faith will save you. Amen. Amen. Now, for the people in this story who had low level of confidence, they ended up living grasshopper lives and they died. But for Caleb and his confident friend Joshua, they stayed right on the pathway of confidence. And everyone else, while they were casting away their confidence, said, they said, no, we aren't casting away our confidence. We're going to continue to believe that God is able to do Joshua became the leader that replaced Moses. And Caleb took the mountain at 85 that he said God had promised him. Here's what I'm telling you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. When you understand this thing called confidence, when you understand that you have beaten that enemy time and time again, and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Throw anything you want to throw at me. You got the kitchen sink? Pitch it. I'll hit it right back at you. Because God is bigger than any situation that hell's going to throw at you. Everybody say, he's bigger than all my problems. He's bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. He's bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my fears. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see. Stand to your feet. You're awesome people. I love you. Everybody say confidence. Everybody say confidence. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.